Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. Who are you? Let me just ask you that again. Who are you? This is why you're here right now. 
feeling good is the primary intention. The foundation of a good relationship with intentions and goals is keeping in mind that the primary aim of setting and working towards those goals is to feel the way you want to feel. The external things we want to have and do and experience, those are your secondary goals, all of which will get you back to the whole cosmic point, experiencing your core desired feelings. Hello, everyone. Welcome to America Meditating Radio. I'm your host, Sister Jenna. That was Daniel Laporte. Desire is divine. Every desire is a prayer. Hmm. I think many of us always have the pure desire for everything to be to our best ability. Whatever we think that might be, we each have our own interpretation of what is our better life or our best self. And I know we generally um, begin to define that more from an external point of view than an interior point of view because there are countless amount of stats out there where externally a lot of people seem okay, but internally they can't hold back their tongue, they can't stop thinking, waste thoughts, um, relationships just don't work, they make their friends into their enemies. There's so many things that are going on in our lives in which you know, we're not, you know, really revealing that we're okay internally at a mental level. And even though the news might depict stories about individuals who go into churches and shoot up congregants or burn down churches or go into schools or drive a car into a group of people, 
as a loner, uh, mentally not so well. I don't define that just as the meaning of, you know, maybe a need for mental health. Uh, I check myself each time that I lose it in terms of, and I don't lose it much, but when I'm irritated, frustrated, when I really feel down in myself or I'm in my valley and I don't feel so good about the blessings I've been given in my life, that is a form of my also mental health, that my mind, my spirit, the soul is asking for something healthy, something good. And a drug just can't do it, nor can CBD oil do it, <laughs> or even a drink, or even another relationship, even though those are temporary fixes and might help for a little. But there's something more. We need to really break through what we're holding to. And lately, I have to share with you something that I've been doing when I'm laying down in bed and getting ready to go to sleep or when I wake up or just when I have a few moments during the day. Um, I reflect and I'll check myself to see where are you inside. You know, what is sitting at the base of my awareness or thought level or consciousness, whatever the word you want to use, but what thought is just sitting with me? And I look at it like a shadow. You know, what is just with me? You know, whether I want it or not, what is there with me? So we're in the month of May, and May is also acknowledged as Mental Health Month. And I feel that it's important for each and every one of us and, and everyone who's listening to this show to keep asking that question. Because mental illness isn't something that just birthed out of nowhere. It was something that we've been doing, something that perhaps we weren't aware of, something that traumatically happened to us and we weren't able to assess the emotions or the trauma that we went through. And little by little, it kept festering in my consciousness, in my attitude, in my vibe. And before I know it, I'm saying things I don't want to say. I'm making choices I don't want to choose. I find myself in situations that I don't know how I got here, but this is not where I want to be. And all of that, I feel, is being driven by the way that we think and the way that we deal with our traumas and our challenges and and even uh, the successes that we have. There's some people that I know, they might come into a big lump of money and it's I look at it as just money of this this lifetime or this moment. And they would never, and I'm not saying that I want them to, but they wouldn't even think of, oh, my gosh, I have all this abundance, and you're doing such good work. Here's a dollar. Here's $100. Here's $5,000. And they would spend $5,000 on a shoe in a second. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with it. That's their abundance. They've earned it. They deserve it. But yet I wonder, you know, where is our mental state where by um, we can be more benevolent in the pure ways that we see ourselves and the way that we see others. And it gives me great pleasure to invite our guest of today. Her name is Michelle Dickinson Moravac. And we're going to be discussing this very important, important topic about mental health. You see, when Michelle started writing her book, breaking into my life, she had assumed that part three would be basically about coming to terms with growing up as the daughter of a bipolar mother, 
But after years of playing the role of child caregiver, writing her memoir launched Michelle on a journey of self-discovery that would prove surprisingly healing. And coming to terms, though, she did realize that she was no longer that it was no longer enough. She had to break into her own personal life, a quest that literally played out as she was writing those final pages. She has worked in the pharmaceutical industry for over 18 years, and she's currently an associate director at Johnson & Johnson and is so proud to be amongst the leadership team of the company's mental health diplomat employee resource group. She also designed and implemented Perfect Just the Way You Are, a powerful wellness after-school enrichment program for underserved communities that focuses on taking care of the body through diet and exercise while bolstering a lot of confidence and a lot of self-love. Today, her mission is really about raising awareness and compassion for those that are struggling with this illness and the fact that we need to care more about them. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Michelle Dickinson, Moravac to the air. Hi, Michelle. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here with you. Mm-hmm. We, in a way, I kind of have a similar story, and I wouldn't say that my my mother wasn't bipolar, but you know, she's been through a lot of trauma, and um, her behavior, basically, like how we look at average and what we see on Leave It to Beaver, wasn't like Leave It to Beaver, nor was it like on the Cosby's, you know, or even Blackish. So yep. it's like I started to think to myself, maybe that behavior really isn't so normal, you know. And no matter what, I just knew it was my it was my thing to do in this incarnation that I was here to build my compassion, my generous, my generosity. But one thing that I learned a lot, Michelle, was that I was also here to no longer judge anyone for whatever it is that they had to go through. So I'm really looking forward to our chit-chat about your latest book, um, Breaking Into My Life. And uh, I know that it started out because of your own journey, but I'd love for our audience to actually hear more about why you chose to write it and what is the meaning of the title. Oh, sure, sure. I can certainly share that with you. So I wrote my book because I really wanted to share my experience growing up with my bipolar mother to help people understand and not fear mental illness, really to create compassion and understanding more than anything. And, you know, breaking into my life represents um, the fact that Growing up as a caregiver, you put your needs on the shelf and you you don't speak your truth and ask for what you want. And because of that grooming as a young girl, I found myself repeating that as I, you know, grew up and was an adult and in relationships. Um, I literally needed to break into my life and speak my truth and ask for what I wanted, something that I just never really did uh, because my mother's needs were always paramount. I know it always gets like that, especially when uh, I'm suspecting that you're just one of these really, really caring folks. And there is a part in the book, um, and you can help me to, to clarify it if I get it wrong, but you had gotten in late from school because a teacher had asked you to come back, and your mom was really, really clear that I don't care what happens, you know that you're supposed to be in the house at a particular time. Yeah. And, you know, you really started to check, you know, how do I respond here? What was that moment in your life that began to, 
you know, invite you to go, how do I start to respond to the way my mother treats me or the, or, or the things that she says to me? I mean, what clicked? You know, I mean, that experience itself was literally, it taught me how to read her mood and read the room and know how mm. I responded with her would result in her her either her behavior being positive or negative. So I learned how to quickly adjust to circumstances around me to minimize upset. So that's, hmm. you know, that was that experience, but you know, when you when you're taught to do that, you do that throughout your life and you don't even realize you're doing that. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've, I've got some people around me who will always tell me, I just don't know how you do it, and I'm like thinking, I don't know. I, I think I'm supposed to just keep doing it. It's okay. It's normal. And uh, I do believe that we become um, very acclimated to our environments, and in itself it's not only teaching us things, but maybe even those who are looking on are learning something from us because the empathy does grow, the lack of judgment grows, I mean, the the reducing your judgment does does get less. Uh, I wanted to ask you a very personal question. Did you ever find a moment where you felt your love was waning? And if so, was there something that you did to to recognize that this wasn't really about you anymore? Yeah, I mean, I think um, you know, I for many many years I harbored a lot of anger and resentment toward my mother because I felt like her illness consumed so much of my young adult life and prevented mm-hmm. and just prevented me from having the experiences that my friends had, you know, being available to just be, you know, social and be with my friends instead of being at home looking after her. So I had a lot of anger and resentment toward her and I and it wasn't until I set out on my own self healing and self discovery journey that I could step away from the impact her illness had on me and look at it from the lens of what her life experience must have been like and how challenging that must have been to to find that compassion and, and empathy and forgiveness um, mm-hmm. and move away from that, you know, woe is me and I'm at the effects of her and that's all that matters. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, I don't know about you, but for me it it deepened my my sensitivity to to care more for people as mm-hmm. I grew older. It's like I just knew that everyone had their stories, and and who was I to say their story was the was bad or not good enough for me? Yeah, yeah. I mean, on the surface, my mom could have could be very mean, very abusive, very angry. But when I stepped back and said, "My goodness, she's trying to raise a family, and she's doing it." Right. And navigate her own mental well-being and she's being thrown all this medication and she's dealing with side effects and you know like kudos to her for what she had taken on you know yes, i mean yes. i couldn't see it always though yeah yeah when we're young we're not usually that intelligent <laughs> but um let's talk about the widespread numbers of mental illness in the US here we are in a country that's supposed to basically give us 
everything that could possibly fulfill our dignity. And I know that we've got the systematic problems, and there are certain groups of um, us, all of us, that are marginalized because of our religion, our our cultural, you know, upbringing, our color, uh, and so on. Even being a woman uh, still marginalizes you in the United States of America. I mean, when you think about developing countries like Liberia or India or Singapore, where they've had like female presidents or prime ministers. America's still, you know, behind in all of that. So, you know, here you've got a country with everything, but mental illness is going out the roof. Could you share how widespread is mental illness in the United States of America? Oh, wow. It's like 18% of Americans will struggle with a mental health disorder at some point um, in a given year. And the CDC released statistics last year, which were horrifying, that suicide was the third leading cause of death amongst youth ages 10 to 24, and that's the extreme result of unaddressed mental illness, obviously. So, you know, and depression itself is is a huge, it's the second highest cause of disease, um, of burden in, in middle income and uh, the third highest in low income countries. So, I mean, depression itself is is a huge impact um, across you know the workplace. Um, accounts for disability. Accounts for absenteeism. Um, it's it's really really sad. And you know the rea- reality is, 75% of people suffering from mental illness develop symptoms at age 24. And um, you know, a lot of a lot of people are still riddled by the fear and the shame that it prevents them from um, actually seeking care. And that's the issue in in mental health: is the fear and the shame, embarrassment. That is what has people suffering in silence, struggling in isolation, and not um, getting the care that's available. Mm. Is there anything that we can do to help our brothers and sisters who might be suffering in silence to not feel that they're alone? Because one of the things I also opened up our conversation with is that, you know, we sometimes coin mental illness where it gets to the point where somebody has done something horrible to another human being. And I shared earlier that sometimes just me not feeling good, feeling a little bit down or in my valley or what have you, um, makes me feel like mentally I don't feel so great that day. Right, right. You know, there are, there. there's a, a bunch of tools. I actually have a toolkit I'd love to, a free toolkit. I'd love to share that link with you. But um, there's, there's, there's small things we can do. Obviously, the proactive approach, the breathing and meditation, that's the proactive approach. You know, there's grounding exercises you could do. There's tapping exercises you could do if you're feeling anxiety and depression. Now, the concern is if you feel like you might have depression or you have a loved one who is struggling with depression, you know, one of the greatest resources out there is the um, NAMI website. That's the National Alliance for Mental Illness. Um, Mm -hmm. NAMI actually has a listing of signs and symptoms of depression, how you can help yourself and how you can help a loved one. Um, Ultimately, conversation is the most important thing. I think the more 
open we are and the space, the cr if we can create a safe space for engaging people in a conversation, it becomes less of a thing. Um, and conversation can be, you know, I once was struggling with, with a lot of stress at work and anxiety, and, and it, you know, you can just create a relatedness with someone and, and invite them if they so choose to share. There's also mm -hmm. um, a free online peer-to-peer -peer community for mental health that you can anonymously join. It's called 18percent.org. It's the number 18 followed by the word percent, no spaces, .org. Um, and that's a, that's a great, loving, supportive community where you can check into the different rooms that are available if you feel like, uh, so say you went to your doctor and you're diagnosed with bipolar or you're diagnosed with depression, there are different rooms in this online community that you can talk to other people who have been where you are and who are navigating it. Mm, that's good. That's good information. Um, sometimes you might you know, be less than your divine, virtuous, unlimited, powerful, breaking into your life self, right? And um, and I'm someone who thinks that we should first focus on our thoughts and the intention behind the thought, and then we can hear the words. Uh, and what do you say to people who, you know, you, you, you know they're struggling with someone in that particular genre and... They might be the caregivers, and then they might come out and say something offensive to the person that they're caring for, like, you're insane, you're this and that. H how would you tell them um, what's the best way to reframe what you're saying to your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, your auntie, your uncle? And even in gatherings of friends or in social connections, people come together and say, oh, you know, John is so crazy. You know, he did this. Did you hear what he did? Like, how can we reduce that quality of energy? Because even when we think it and say it, it also travels to the name of the person that we're talking mm -hmm. about, and it doesn't help them. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And I think, I think that, you know, things like conversations like that, what's at the root of that is a lack of, understanding mental health and understanding and having compassion. So, you know, I think we all need to look within and say, who am I to judge first and foremost, anyone who suffers? Because to step into the experience of that other person for a hot minute might have you get how difficult it is just to get out of bed in the morning. So mm -hmm. I think, um, but if you're a caregiver and you are constantly at the effects of someone who has a mental illness, I mean, that can be punishing, truly can be very punishing. And so it wasn't until I was able to separate my mother from her illness to remember she's a beautiful human being and then she has an illness. So I, one of the powerful things that I was able to do as I got older and got more um, connected and developed and, I guess, evolved I was able to say my mother is a beautiful soul and, I, and I'm not going to, you know, collapse the two together that she is her illness because she's not her illness. She's someone who's doing the best she can to navigate a mental illness. You know, but for caregivers in general, I always say don't lose yourself in caring for them. Care for yourself. You can't put anyone else's oxygen mask on them until you put it on yourself. So healthy boundaries making sure you're, you're caring for yourself, you're getting what you need, 
only empowers you to care for them um, mm-hmm. to the best. Yeah, yeah, I like that very much. Um, I know that even if I get the thought, Michelle, I don't feel good. Yeah. You know, yeah. even if I get the thought, I just don't feel good. Uh, but but do you think, like, on a whole, we're just afraid of it? Like, we really don't know what it is? I mean, I know some folks who might be, like, tipping on the on the side of mental illness, but they're the sweetest, loveliest people. And there are also some that seem to be sort of um, intense. Uh, I know that there is a young man that comes to our meditation museum with his parents, and he was in the military, did something really bad, ended up on trial, came out, but he only lives at home with his mother. But when you look at his eyes and his face, he just looks like he can just grab you and hurt you right there. So sometimes you, you know, people think um, like there's a lot of fear around the issue of mental illness, and it's so. Is that an unreasonable fear, uh, or, you know, what are your thoughts on how we can address that fear and transform it into compassion or love and, and still be mindful that, oh, my gosh, I really feel uncomfortable around this, this person? I think it is. I, honestly, I, I think it is uh, the reality that people do fear mental illness, Um they fear being judged. They feel, you know, being perceived as weak. Um, that's just the reality. But I also think that it has a lot to do with our understanding of mental illness, right? We, mm-hmm. it's, like you said earlier on when you when you opened this this conversation with me, you see school shootings, you see the horrific extreme of mental illness, and you know that's that's what we're terrified of, right? That's what makes society so afraid. But if you took the time to really learn about what is mental illness, what are the different kinds of mental illnesses, even from, like, eating disorders to obsessive-compulsive disorders, there's there's an entire range of mental illness. And it's not by choice. These are, these are you know, it's, it's an illness in the brain. If you had, you know, something wrong with the physical, physical part of your body, you wouldn't, shy away from it. It would just be like, this is the reality and I'm getting care for it. So I, I think, unfortunately, people do have a fear. You know, you, it's an in, invisible ailment. You can't readily see it, so you don't know. Um, but I think we can break that down by having conversations and normalizing mm-hmm. it and really thinking. I mean, when you have someone who has cancer, God forbid, you know, what's the first thing you do? How can I help you? How can I support you in your healing? Here's a casserole. Like, we don't do that for someone who's been diagnosed with major depression or bipolar disorder. And I think there's tremendous opportunity we can get there, but we have to talk about it. Yeah. It, it, is it more difficult to find resources that are related to mental illness as opposed to maybe cancer or diabetes or heart attacks? You know, now more than ever, I think there are so many great resources popping up. So I would say... I would say no. I mean, um, I mentioned NAMI. There's uh, Mental Health America. There's there's tremendous resources available to help us all better understand mental illness. So, especially you know, know, we get a press in the in the news. Unfortunately, when we lose celebrities to this, 
um, it shines a light on it and, you know, brings it to the Yes, yes. So now tell us, how did writing that book, Breaking Into My Life, actually impacted you personally? What were some of those emotions that you were going through while you were writing the book? Yeah, so I had an incredible writing coach, and I had never written anything outside of a college paper, let's be honest. And so she really guided me, but it it actually had me need to relive specific experiences that were very painful So I will tell you, I wrote it over four years. It was an incredibly cathartic experience because with every story, I literally had to dive deep and remember how I was feeling, what the room smelt like, so that I could vividly express that in the book to really have my reader understand the experience. So it was really hard, but at the end of the day, I was so proud when I was finished with it because I knew, um, you know, where I was always coming from was I want people to fear it less, understand it, humanize that experience so, you know, other people don't have to, you know, suffer in silence. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, it's it's a powerful time because we also have technology, and technology is now offering so many different apps for people that can talk their emotions through. And I feel that maybe one of the greatest damages that we go through is the inability to talk about what we're feeling and person that can trust what I'm saying and not judge me for what I'm saying and and somehow just through their presence or their eyes or just the tone of their voice I just felt so validated so you know I do find it a more I guess it is an in a way an optimistic time don't you think Absolutely. I mean, I can tell you how many times I do Zoom conferences or Skype conferences so I can physically see people's facial expressions as they're talking. It's just such a much more beautiful way to feel heard and understood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. So what's the last message that you'd like to offer caregivers of anybody you know who's dealing with mental illness? What would you tell them some a, a few practical steps that they could just feel like they too are cared for. Yeah, I mean, for me it was creating a boundary. You know, I could love my mother in, and have a boundary in place to love myself. It doesn't it doesn't mean you love your loved one less to care for yourself first. And I think it's very easy because it becomes all too consuming to want to make that make their world right at the expense of your own well-being. So I think it's just so important to have boundaries, to care for yourself, to get a yoga class in, to go for a walk in nature, and really just be the best version of yourself for yourself and for your loved one. I think uh, educate yourself is another thing. With my father, my father knew a little bit about mental illness and bipolar, you know, but some of the things that he would say to her, reflecting now, I know clearly he didn't have as much knowledge as he could have. So if you educate yourself, you'll definitely feel more empowered, and you might find more empathy for what life is like for them, you know, trying to navigate the world, you know, with a mental illness. So care Beautiful. for yourself, educate yourself. Mm, that's really well said. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us this book that's needed, and we'd love to find out if there are any upcoming talks, discussions, or 
if there's a website that our listeners can get in touch with you for more information? Sure. I have a website. It's www.breakingintomylife.com, and you can reach out to me there. Uh, You can get a free excerpt of the book. You can order the book on barnesandnoble.com or on amazon.com. I love to hear from people, especially if if they're struggling and they just, uh, you know, can relate or have some questions. Do not hesitate to reach out to me through my website. I'd love to talk. That's lovely. Michelle Dickinson Moravac, thank you so much, uh, author of Breaking Into My Life. All the very best, and thanks for making us feel a little bit more normalized that it's okay with all the different stages that we go through as caregivers when we're dealing with someone that we love. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me and for having this conversation. Same here. All the very best. Take care. Thank you. So hang tight. And again, this thing that I've learned for myself, um, it's their journey, and yet I want to make sure that you know you show up in the best possible way. So for more information with Michelle Dickinson's Moravec's book, Breaking Into My Life, you can contact her on her website that she gave us. And she also has like a free me- kit for a mental resource. It's mentalhealthresourcekit.com forward slash free um, dash kit for some more information. And if you need any help with anything, do not, do not stay alone. All right, remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission, and we really are here to love each other the same. Here is Ricky Byers on Ashe Ashe. Take care, everyone.
I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.